Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, an old friend, an innovator, and someone to emulate. We've got Vet Girls, Dr. Justine Lee. As you know, we tackle the toughest topics in veterinary medicine, and this week we are going to tackle women in leadership, women entrepreneurs, people who are doing amazing things, and nobody does it better, in my opinion, than Dr. Justine Lee. She is building an empire, has been building an empire for quite some time, but she is a remarkable person, and I'm so honored to call you a good friend. I am always your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. Well, Justine, you and I have known each other a long time. We've worked on so many different projects over the years. Today, I want to really focus on on a couple of things. And, and and the first is, how did you become a veterinarian? Sure. So, you know, just like everyone out there, I've always wanted to be a vet since I was seven. And so I was really lucky. I felt really passionate about it. And I knew what I wanted to do in undergrad. So I was an animal science uh, major at Virginia Tech mm, and then went hokies. to Cornell for veterinary school. Yeah. Yay! And then I went on to do my internship at Angel, which is associated with the MSPCA in Boston, and then just found my passion with emergency critical care. So thankfully, it was something that I always was just really passionate about doing ever since I was a child. Well, well, Justine, I've got to age us just a little bit. I think our generation has that same story. I mean, just like you, you know, I always wanted to be a veterinarian. That's just what I that's just what I was. But the newer generation often aren't finding their path to to college, you know? I mean, how do you think that's actually changing the the profession? You know, it's I, I empathize for them because I can't imagine what it's like to pay for four years of undergrad and not what know what you want. But that's okay. I always tell people, you know, I know a lot of colleagues who being a veterinarian was actually their second career. And sometimes I think when you have that second career, you have that maturity where you've had another job first, you are able to sort of experiment in life. And so I always tell people, it doesn't matter when you find that passion, just embrace it fully though. Yeah, that's really good advice. Now, one of the things too that that you did was you specialized and you did you did specialty medicine at a time when certainly it wasn't as popular as it is today. And also people uh, of your gender weren't doing it as quite as frequently. So tell us a little about how you chose and found emergency medicine as a specialty. Sure. So, you know, back when I went to veterinary school and I graduated in 1997, there was very little emergency critical care out there. And so, you know, after my internship where I did, gosh, probably 75% emergency critical care, I was actually really burnt out after my internship. I probably worked 100 hours a week and I actually took a year off where I went back to Cornell to teach for a year in community practice service and doing emergency at Cornell and also doing some um, lecturing in anatomy. And it was in that one year where I really missed the busyness of emergency. And it's not like I'm an adrenaline junkie, but I loved being able to see the case diversity that walked through the door. And so after that one year, I decided to apply for an emergency critical care residency and was really lucky I ended up doing it University of Pennsylvania, where they are, in my opinion, one of the top ECC programs, just because they're located in the inner city right, right in West Philly. Wow. So yeah, and I'm sure you saw just a cr absolutely crazy variety in your caseload. And, and we know that that ended up not being your only area of specialty. <laughs> uh, what, what took you to that next step? Gosh, 
you know, the funny thing is I never, ever would have thought that I would become board certified. But after I did my residency, I, I actually went to Minnesota and that's what brought me out here. I joined the faculty at University of Minnesota for five years. And just like a lot of veterinary professionals out there, after doing emergency for so long, just was really burnt out, was starting to get compassion fatigue and decided to branch out. And I think that's the unique thing about our veterinary field is people don't realize how many options we have in veterinary medicine. So I actually went into industry for five years and I headed an animal poison control center. And that was just a really unique opportunity. It was a associate director position where I did a lot of management, facilitation, I ran a lot of the operations, gave me a good step back from clinics. And after a while, jumped back part-time at a specialty clinic right in the Twin Cities at Animal Emergency and Referral Center. And so for me, that's where I ended up finding my passion for toxicology. So after five years, decided to become boarded, and I'm also a diplomat of the American Board of Toxicology. Right. So a little bit too geeky, <laughs> but yes, I decided to do it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, Justine. I mean, just to have, have watched your path. You graduated about five years after I did, and just to watch you blossom, I mean, it's been amazing. And of course, along the way, you did something in, well, actually, tell us about your first foray into entrepreneurship. I won't give it away just yet. (laughs) Sure. So I actually decided to start my own small business and it was an LLC and it was because I decided to write two books. And what I was seeing in the emergency room was I was seeing so many diseases or problems that were totally preventable that pet owners just weren't aware of. And so I wrote two humorous books. They're a question-answer format. They're totally designed to be coffee table, fun books for dog and cat owners. And the dog book is called It's a Dog's Life, But It's Your Carpet. (laughs) And the cat book is It's a Cat's World. You just live in it. And because I wanted to protect myself in terms of medical liability, I wanted to put the copyright of the book into my uh, Justine Lee Veterinary Consulting. So that was actually my first small business that I decided to start. And from that, ended up using that consulting business for me lecturing. And it really branched out to a lot of different opportunities. And I had the awesome opportunity to work with Ernie, which is where I first met him, doing a couple of pilots, uh, blogging. And so it was just a really fun way to be able to continue to educate pet owners. Yeah, and we've had some, we've had some really good times over the years. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you also, of course, did Vet Girl, which uh, that is one of the most spectacular products available. And if you don't know what it is, check it out. We'll have links in this uh, podcast. But tell us a little bit about that because that's pretty awesome. Thanks, Ernie. So when I was actually studying for my emergency critical care boards, gosh, back in 2003, I will fully disclose I am not a good test taker. <laughs> and so I would have to study for like 12 to 14 hours a day. And I wanted to go out for a trail run or just get outside with my dog as a stress break. But I felt so nervous about you know, taking that break from studying. And at that time, I just wanted to someone to be able to read to me on my Walkman because that's what right. I had at that time. There were no smartphones. And I wanted to be able to multitask, go for a walk and learn at the same time. But there was no technology out like that back in the early 2000s. And so when I was actually studying for my toxicology boards uh, back in 2012, that's when the idea hit me again. I was like, I just want someone to read me a toxicology article while I'm going for a run. And so that's when I decided to partner with fellow criticalist, Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, 
who is super tech savvy. And that's where we uh, solidified the idea of Vet Girl as a subscription-based podcast and webinar service that offers online veterinary continuing education. So people can learn at the same time while they're walking, running, you know, on a treadmill. And so just a really unique opportunity to be able to start that. Yeah, it's an amazing product. So again, I encourage you listeners to check it out. It's the best way to get that distillate of information that is overwhelming at times. And I will say this, Justine, uh, having been with you going through your talks boards, uh, yeah, you are pretty much a bear. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is when I went back to my vet school reunion, one of my friends who was a classmate of mine said to me, Gosh, I can't believe you're this big wig speaker. You are totally a C student, <laughs> which I was. She meant it in a nice way. And I have to thank you personally because I, I love li listening to your podcast and it makes me sound super smart in the clinic when I go in and I'm working with all of my colleagues. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. So it's first of all, the I'm totally moved by the last statement that she made as far as being a C student and and still being really successful and thriving. And I'm like, hey, students, did you hear that? Like, we are so frequently putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect in school and to to always excel. And I just love the story of saying, you know what? I saw a need, I saw a passion, and and I ran with it. And it isn't about perfection or absolution in any way. So I, I appreciate that you bring that to the table. And I think from a veterinary technician standpoint, we just really love to see veterinarians who are really relatable, who recognize veterinary technicians for the role that they play and, you know, um, not the consolation prize in the profession. And so I know it's been um, wonderful to see products such as Vet Girl come along that provide education for technicians, for veterinary professionals in a, in a real way that is comfortable to and approachable and fun to listen to. So it's it's been a really great thing, I think, for our industry. Now, Justine, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this uh, podcast is the role of women, the emerging you know evolution of business leadership and entrepreneurship. You've kind of got two things going on. One, you know, you are not a traditional veterinary student. You know, you're a minority. And number two, you're a female, but yet you are just crushing it out there. So tell us a little bit about the advice that you would give to a, a young listener out there today who's saying, you know, wow, I want to do something. I've got this great idea or this passion. How do they channel it and harness it the way you've done and make it into a reality? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. I would say so many people come up with awesome ideas, but very few actually take it to the next level. And so to borrow the saying from Nike, right. just do it. Because everyone has awesome ideas and it's just the matter of putting the sweat equity into taking it to the next level and actually just doing it. And honestly, I could not have started Vet Girl without the help of Garrett because he's so tech savvy. And we both brought different fortes into it. So I would say, first of all, keep your passion going. The next thing is take it to the next level. The third thing is make sure you find the right partner. So you want someone that you have a business contract with, that you establish that through a lawyer, that you know what the strengths and weaknesses are, that you guys are a great team. And again, I couldn't have started it without Garrett. I would say that, you know, when I went to vet school, you're right, it was probably still about maybe 50, 50, or maybe 60% female, 40% male. So it wasn't quite the pendulum it is now. And I really tell people, you know, when it comes to, I, I almost want to say the feminization of veterinary medicine, I don't want that to be an issue for people. But I will also say that 
I'm a little bit nervous that a lot of people aren't going into practice ownership. And it's because we as women are worried about stressing out about it. We're worried about the fear of family distraction. We're worried about our student debt. We're worried about, you know, lack of mentoring or we don't have the self-confidence for that. There are classes out there. Find a good mentor and really take the time, if you're passionate about it, to just do it. Because realistically, people don't think about, well, you know, I want to plan my life. I'm going to have a kid in five years. I'm going to own a practice in 10 years. When in actuality, sometimes you just have to take the initiative and do it. Absolutely. And I know we're we're both mothers of very young children right now. And as busy as that life can be, what advice would you give to, to other young people, uh, women and, and men who want to be young fathers about kind of grabbing life by the horns and finding a way to make all of those things work? Or as in many of your popular blogs, when is it the right time to take a break and just try and have kids then? Like where, where, is, where are those lines? Yeah, unfortunately, there is no right time. And I actually wrote a blog that I posted on Beckerl almost a year ago today. And it was called Why You Should Stop Your Veterinary Career and Have <laughs> Oh, <kids> yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people don't tell you this. No one's going to tell you this. Your mentor, your clinic owner, your clinic boss, your colleagues, no one in vet school is going to teach you this. Your, you know, residency mentor is not going to tell you it either. And I guess the hard thing that I had to battle through was, first of all, I didn't find my partner or my husband until pretty late in life, until my late 30s. And, you know, while we decided to go ahead and, you know, pursue trying to have a family, we ended up having a lot of losses. And, a lot of that was stress related. I was going through a lot of tumultuous stress related to, uh, you know, a former job. Yeah. And I do really believe that stress has such an impact chronically on our body, even when we try to triage it away. Like endogenously, you probably have massive cortisol release. And even though I was like trying to meditate and do yoga and, you know, ach achieve good work-life balance, I really feel like that high stress affected my fertility. And it wasn't until I was 43 that we miraculously got pregnant. And, you know, we even failed IVF up to that point. Yeah. And miraculous is definitely the right word, you know. Absolutely. You know, less than 2.5% chance naturally. Yeah. And I will say, man, if I knew what I knew now, how awesome being a parent is, I would have had like five. <laughs> it's so I, awesome. know, two, I would stop at two. I just recommend two is a good number. That's, <laughs> That's plenty. Funny. Five might be a little excessive. Yeah. So cute. <laughs> but yeah, but I absolutely love it. You know, I have one son. He just turned a year. And so I tell people, you know what? Don't limit yourself just because you want to family plan. But you also have to be cognizant that as you get older, we all know as scientists, as you get older, your egg count's going to drop. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it drops precipitously. And even with IVF, your chances of getting pregnant after 40 are still only 5% to a live birth. And so, you know, really frustrating. But I encourage you to pursue your veterinary career at the same time. And if family planning is important to you, then do it at the same time. You can still be a great clinician. You can still be a small business owner. You can still be a specialist as a parent. So just consider it. You know, you have to work on balancing work-life balance, but it is achievable. Absolutely. And I, th I think that's what's often the misconception is that you have to pick one or the other that, that we're not able to do both. And I know it's an issue in human medicine as well, that there is kind of discrimination against 
people who choose to become parents during their residency, during their training, but, but life happens and, you know, we want to have lives in addition to having professions too. Yeah, you know, Justine, and I, you know the story, and we've even shared it here. Laura has shared it on the podcast, but you know, Laura went through the same thing where we did, we weren't going to have children. You know, we were busy professionals, you know, successful, and then suddenly she has a breakdown at an airport. This is all the literal story, and then just like we want to have children, and yet we had the same struggles that you did. Uh, and stress plays such an important role. In fact, uh, I'll never forget our seventy-two-year-old gynecologist at the time said, "The problem isn't with your bodies; the problem is with your stress levels. Go take a vacation." Because up until that point, we had never taken a vacation. We didn't take a honeymoon. I mean, we were just that, you know, we were working, working. And of course, we famously went to Sandals in Jamaica and we had a baby not long afterwards. So you're right, Justine, you really have to to consider the role of stress. But I do want to point out, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on the criticisms that that blog post and a couple more that you've done around, you know, uh, planning it and you know, how being a busy mother, you know, I mean, I'm always shocked and, and quite frankly, uh, discouraged and dismayed by some of the comments that, that get, you know, like, oh, a woman's place is in the home and, you know, all that garbage. I mean, wh- what do you make of that? Oh, my gosh, Ernie, there are trolls on the Internet. Let me tell well, you. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it's it's really frustrating. But, but Justine, these are professional. I think most of the people on your site and, and you know, especially on the Vet Girl are more professionals. That, that That's what bothers me the most, you know? Yeah, and I would agree. And we use the term quote, professional loosely, right. right? We're veterinary professionals, but we're not always professional. And so it was really hard. And to be quite honest, Vet Girl is run by Garrett and myself. And we literally will have hundreds to thousands of comments. And I actually have stopped reading some of them because some of them were so obnoxious and so rude. And unfortunately, it's really frustrating. I do not want the field of veterinary medicine because we become more female dominant to be known as, quote, right. catty. And some of the comments that we get are exactly like that. And so it's frustrating. I have definitely worked and supported my colleagues through a lot of maternity leaves or even just while they're trying to balance family life. You know, if there was a patient that was hit by a car that was on a ventilator, I would have colleagues who'd have to go pick up their children at daycare. And so I understand where people, you know, get frustrated with having to stay later. But I tell you, it's a life decision and we just have to respect each other. And it boils down to... As professionals, quote unquote, we just need to be respectful to each other. Absolutely. And I think we can be more respectful as a society about caregiving in general. Um, We seem to forget sometimes that, you know, we all require each other to take care of one another. And I, I think a lot about the Olympics and how we praise the nutritionists that help take care of Olympic athletes. And we praise their family members who have sacrificed so much to help them get where they are. And yet when it comes to those of us who are professional athletes in terms of the amount of stress and, uh, you know, emotional and intellectual effort that we're putting into things, we sometimes forget to um, take that time or to reward the people who are, are making the effort to care for others. Um, and, and even if you don't have kids, you may be taking care of a parent or a relative or a friend. So. So we need to um, make sure that opportunities are available for for all of us to to care for the people we need to in our lives. Yeah, and and one of the things too, Justine, you touched on earlier, and that is don't let your role as a mom, as a female, as a minority limit you in any way. And you certainly have not. But I think you know this is something that bears repeating over and over again because I am constantly amazed at 
how incredible the women in my life are. I mean, my wife has boundless energy. She has enthusiasm and compassion that seems to have no limits. And yet she then takes care of our daughters. She takes care of our home, takes care of our pets for the most, you know, she feeds me, you know. So I think that your capacity for greatness is only limited by how you perceive yourself. So Justine, having that in mind, I mean, what do you see for the future of our profession and how can women start to take more control? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say that as our field becomes more female prevalent, I really do hope that we continue to, quote, lean in while also being able to balance supporting each other as colleagues, whether or not we're male or female, but also supporting small business ownership. Because as a small business owner, and you know this, Ernie, you know, we definitely struggle with the amount of sweat, equity, stress, financial investment, hard work that goes into it. But a lot of people don't realize that while ownership may not be for everyone, whether or not you're male or female, it can actually help you achieve work-life balance better because ultimately you can set your hours, you can hire another part-time associate. And so I really encourage people, even though it seems like you're jumping into a huge, risky financial commitment, the good thing about it is that down the line, it really pays off. So I really think it's important that we as a profession, whether or not you're male or female, step up that you start early, whether or not it's having children, taking time off, working part-time, using flex time, starting that small business, that we be supportive of each other and that we advocate for each other because this is a commitment in our profession that we want to support each other just because our profession has so many advantages. If you're burnt out, go into industry. If you're passionate, go ahead and take it to the next level. So again, really just passionate about this topic because I think it's really important. And I think your career is such a great example of how diversity doesn't have to be a threat. It can be an opportunity. Um, I know your conference, as well as just the whole concept behind Vet Girl, um, is a great way of highlighting how reaching out to communities like, say, moms and, and people who have families and women can help be a business opportunity. Um, can you speak to that at all and how people may be able to take a more advantage of diversity in our profession? Sure. You know, so... I was actually really lucky because growing up in a very traditional Chinese family, most Chinese parents want their kids to go to human medical school. They don't want them to go to veterinary right, school. Right. And, you know, it's just the prestige of being a medical doctor instead of a veterinarian. And I was really lucky. My parents were so supportive. And so for that reason, I've always had the support and the wisdom from my parents. And so I you know, even though our profession seems to be lacking in diversity, which it definitely is, I really do try to encourage people, if you own a clinic, you have people who shadow, um, that you be a mentor to whoever's in your environment to support them if that's something that um, you have the opportunity to do. I, quite honestly, uh, was really fortunate on my path in that I uh, did not experience very much racism. I did a little bit in New Jersey. I did a little bit when I went to undergraduate. Um, but since then, I have felt really well supported. But you're right. There's not enough diversity within our field of veterinary medicine. And I think that, you know, as veterinary technicians, that's resounding, at least it is to me, because I think we see so little diversity on our level. And it is, 
you know, you've already kind of spoken to some of the cattiness that that plays into our field and and there is a lot of opportunity, but tell me a little bit about how you reflect in the technician profession because sometimes we in many states don't have the opportunity for ownership and practices and um, you know, what do you say to the technicians that are around you that, you know, want to be elevated and want to do better? What inspiration can you give them? Well, first of all, I will say that we are really passionate about educating veterinary technicians too. So Vet Girl is race approved for both vets and vet techs, and we pride ourselves on it being clinically relevant and practical. And so we actually started a team membership because we wanted to elevate the quality of care in the whole team. Because my philosophy is if we could just give you one takeaway that's going to improve your quality of care. It's going to help save a patient's life. And so we're really honored, and um, we have a lot of subscribers who are veterinary technicians. Veterinary technicians in my clinic are my right and left hand. And so really important that we as small business owners support veterinary technicians. And it's really frustrating because I've seen some amazing veterinary technicians who have left our field because the salary sucks, to be quite honest. And it's not a sustainable salary. So I would love personally to see more benefits um, going to veterinary technicians, more salary. I'm often shocked that so many small businesses in terms of veterinary clinics offer so little continuing education to veterinary technicians. Mm -hmm. And so even $199 a year, their boss won't cover. And so- Yeah. And so like in order for someone to have ownership and feel passionate about their being on a team, you have to give back to them. Yeah. And I appreciate that that contribution too, because the technicians, like you said, sometimes are so limited in their means to provide it for themselves that they really do look to their employer. I was recently talking to a group of technicians who were telling me how they were discouraged from putting their credentials on their badge because it it made uncredentialed staff feel, you know, bad about their their wow. placement. And so we really look to resources like you to help um, encourage and elevate our profession and appreciate that you do that. And Justine, I don't want you to leave without telling us about your new resource. You've got a new thing cooking. So tell us all about that. Sure. Well, I actually have two. So we actually just released a Vet Girl Veterinary Wellness app. It's totally free for all different types of smartphones, whether or not it's iOS or Android. And I came up with this idea because of the prevalence of burnout and compassion fatigue within our field. And so literally when you check the app every single day, it just gives you one cool tidbit. And I love stuff like this because it just reminds me, one of them is take 10 deep breaths or go to bed before 9 p.m. Making small steps like drink 40 ounces of water today. You know, so we love uh, this app that we created. Today's is Live Simply. And so hopefully it will give a little bit of help to people who just need a little bit of a break. So excited to release that Vet Girl Veterinary app. And the second thing that we're excited about is while Vet Girl is totally online veterinary continuing education, we're actually hosting our first ever veterinary conference in Minneapolis at the Mall of America at the Radisson Blue in August, August 17th to 19th of, I can't believe it's next year or (laughs) soon to be this year. It'll be board certified specialists who are basically doing a case-based approach every 20 minutes on different types of scenarios. So we're really excited. It'll be a really unique type of conference. Yes. And again, uh, where can they find out more about that? What's the website? They can literally just go to vetgirlontherun.com. Wow. Well, Justine, it has been a pleasure and honor to talk with you today. I thank you for sharing your insights and experiences with our audience. I mean, I have been really fortunate to have known you for 
few years. And uh, and I got to tell you, I always learn something from you. So thank you. Thank you for your friendship and support all these years. It's been wonderful. Same here. Really appreciate what you guys do and absolutely love Veterinary Viewfinder. So, so honored to be featured. Thank you guys again. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. What do you think about women in leadership positions? What do you think about Justine's story? Can you learn from it? And how has she inspired you on your journey? And share with us what opportunities you think there are uh, because we have more diversity in our profession. Uh, You can reach out to us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And make sure to go on iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to get five stars and make sure to check out Vet Girl while you're there. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 Bye, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. What should I do?